Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of The Melanin Report. I'm your host, Marquise Lufton, and we have a dope jam-packed show for you today. It's Monday, so you know it's part one of our podcast series this week, and that also means we have our cousin of the show, Dr. Kamika Campbell, in studio with us. Doc, how are you doing today? I'm back here, full in effect, all those things. I'm so excited. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> ready ready to do this thing. Yeah. Give y'all the news. We're going to give you what you need, give you what you wanted, and give you what you didn't know existed. Probably a little bit more than that. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Our top five <laughs> stories of the day takes us to Jacksonville and the issue that is happening with violence. Um, not, not really on black campuses, but to black campuses uh i'll say that also uh we're going to go and talk about what is going on with airbnb now we know that when things start in the bigger city they tend to trickle on down to your smaller city so what are are the implications that's happening in new york what does that mean for us in the mid-state and then finally what is connected to our monologue this week we're going to be talking about processed foods and what that means and if that's good or bad let me just put this on your mind right now all processed foods aren't bad did i just say a cuss word nope oh all right all right well you right (laughs) well first things first let's get into the news Our first story, HBCUs forced to tighten security following Jacksonville's white supremacist shooting. So let's get into it. Historically, black colleges and universities have been spurred to action to address pressing security concerns on their campuses following following uh, last weekend's Jacksonville, Florida shooting. According to U.S. News and World Report, the gunman who shot and killed three black Florida residents at a Newtown Dollar General stopped in the parking lot of Edward Waters University to dress in tactical gear before the shooting spree began. A, a vigilante campus police officer, well, excuse me, a vigilant campus police officer noticed the shooter, a young white male carrying a rifle with swastikas painted on it and approached him, causing the armed man to speed away in his vehicle and away from the HBCU campus. The continuous threat to black student safety has forced these universities to address the concerns by increasing the presence of law enforcement, counselors, and social workers on their campuses. The recent uptick in violent incidences prompted the U.S. Department of Education to supply funds to four black institutions that will allow them to conduct regular wellness visits and hire a field training specialist to teach staff members more specialized security actions and responses. Whoo, that is a mouthful right there. Um, mm. uh, um, first, first and foremost, uh, before I toss it over uh, t- to you, Dr. Campbell, um, mm-hmm. I do want to say um, uh, big ups and congratulations and and a huge thank you to the uh, security officer. Oh, that facts. that 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 was vigilant enough uh, to you know I don't know if he put his dad voice on was like hey something <laughs> you, you know but but he saved you know um, um, a countless number of lives. Now, un- unfortunately, the that that male relocated. Um, and, yes, he did. And and, and uh, killed those people. But special shout out uh, to that s- security officer for being vigilant and knowing what to say and not to cower. Yeah. 
and not to cower. Yeah. So I'm glad that the HBCUs can, they have the ability to have beefed up security. That's important. Mm -hmm. Because in this day and age, when we have, okay, we're in Jacksonville. Yeah. We're not far from the state capitol, which is only a couple hours from Jacksonville, Mm -hmm. west of Jacksonville, in Tallahassee, Mm -hmm. where the governor has been using his platform to spew uh, certain kinds of messages. And when I say spew, I do literally mean spew because a lot of it is not based in anything. Mm -hmm. So it's a spewing of kind of you can't say religious. You can't say, I don't even know if it's ideological because a lot of the rest of the country, even people who may have that initial provocation, that's not a word, <laughs> that one. Um, so so even people who may have those initial proclivities mm-hmm. are not agreeing with this governor yeah. and with the people who are supporting this governor yeah. on the rhetoric. Very so. True. This is, it's difficult to see because peop, these three people died needlessly. Right. Right? Based on a hyper-racist, hyper-discriminatory context yeah. where a lot of the things that people are saying aren't true. Right. So this th- that's that's the hard part for me. You know, people who cannot or will not or don't want to or don't have the foresight to think critically about the situation— and not let the rhetoric affect their behavior yeah. are allowed to just be out on the street. So that's happening. Yeah. Um, and then with second, no fear. With no fear. There she had, uh, no fear. It makes me think of Virginia Tech and a couple other places mm. um, where these kinds of maybe not all race-based uh, shootings have taken mass mass shootings have taken place. But it makes me think of how f- how people target certain kinds of institutions where they think people are going to be yeah. to send a message. Yeah. Um, if you read the manifestos of the folks who are committing these kinds of heinous acts, mm-hmm. they are targeting a certain kind of belief system. Right. And it's hard to say, well, it's just a one-off, which is what they did to the Virginia shooter first. Yeah. Before he shot up and killed so many people at Virginia Tech. Yeah. They wrote it off as him being mentally ill and released him. Yeah. And so the question for me becomes, even though they didn't do that in the case here with this particular person in Jacksonville, Mm -hmm. one, he didn't make it to the Everwaters University, thank God. Two, I think even though these folks were sacrificial lambs, there could have been a lot more people hurt. Yeah. Because that, that seemed like it was what it was the plan. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, but when are we going to stop calling things mental illness that are, that are a clear societal problem yeah. that we fail to address, that we won't address? And when I say we, I mean our elected officials and stakeholders who can. Yeah. They have the power to do it. Won't address with any policy. We won't address with any... I had, a, I had a local official tell me one year, you can use your bully pulpit to do things. Wow. <laughs> wow. And so my question ever since then has been, why are these elected officials, even if you can't make policy, you can use your bu- bully, pulpit. bully pulpit, right, the microphone that you have right. to disavow these actions. And they don't. That part. And that is very important to take note of. Yeah. Why? Even if you have the, I had another elected, a local elected official tell me that they didn't believe that their voice was above any other voice. 
won't name who the elected official is, but you know who you are. Wow. And I said, this is a fundamental, um, a fundamental kind of uh, misunderstanding of what your role is right. as an elected official. If a group of people elect you to speak for them, your voice is obviously <laughs> right. representative of that group. And so when you have these folks are representing these groups of people mm-hmm. and the, the groups of people who elected them don't agree that they should be silent on matters of gun violence. They should be silent on matters of extreme violence. Yeah. Whether or not they like a certain demographic or not is not the, is not the point because gun violence at some point affects every demographic in this country. Every, every demographic. Um, uh, talking, talking about this uh, violence and violence on, on, on campus, uh, we looked up uh, some of the uh, most dangerous college campuses um, in the country. And uh, this, this calculation does not include statutory rape, um, but it combines murder, negligent manslaughter, and non-negligent manslaughter. Um, this also does include rape, murder, manslaughter, aggregated assault, and robbery. So out of the top 27, um, Penn State University was number seven. Drexel University, University City Campus, was number 18. And Johns Hopkins University was number 82. So our second story uh, takes us to stricter short-term rental laws uh, signal an end to Airbnb in New York City. Could this be something coming down the pipeline in Pennsylvania? So every year, New York City welcomes nearly 70 million visitors to its boroughs, making it one of the largest hubs for short-term rentals. However, a big change to laws allowing residents and and real estate agents and developers to profit from the city's exponentially high cost of living may spell the end of one of the world's largest rental companies, Airbnb. Airbnb has come under scrutiny not only for its part in the gentrification of many historically black cities, but also for its effect on the real estate market. Potential home buyers and local residents complain about the renting giant's lasting impact on neighborhoods. And now one of the nation's largest cities is fighting back. According to Wired, on September 5th, Local Law 18 went into effect, which mandates that all short-term rental hosts must register with the city of New York and must live in the residence they're renting. The law also outlines that the registrant must stay in the rental while renters are present. In addition, the limit on guests has now been set to no more than two. So... Some of us, some of the Airbnb representatives uh, say that the city is sending a clear message to millions of potential visitors who will now have fewer accommodation options when they visit New York City. This is a clear sign that you are not welcomed. So, (laughs) first of all, Airbnb is one of the most predatory companies that I have ever encountered. Mm. They literally try to run your house for you if you have a room on their platform. Ask me how I know. (laughs) Um, But the other thing, too, so there's a couple sides to this argument. This is the same. It's a similar argument with Uber Mm. and the taxis. Any kind of share, whether it's ride share, home share, Blank share, whatever share it is that has a national market, you have two sides of the coin. Yeah. Two sides of the situation. You have the companies 
the big companies that have been in the game for a long time who are making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And you have the, sm- the smaller companies that are using individuals to make an to make a, a argument. Yeah. And so if I am Shaniqua P, who mm-hmm. lives in New York City, and I want to rent a room out of my house, and I own it, I can do that. Right. It's not a problem. People have been doing that for a long time. Yeah. This is the model for many homeowners across the country, across the world, yeah. who own their homes all over the world. Yeah, we were talking about it. Um, we were talking about that a little earlier. Off air, yeah. People expect you to do whatever you want with your house. It's your house. If you right. want to rent a room, you can do that. Now, there are a couple caveats. If you live in a homeowners association who doesn't want you to do that, mm-hmm. I also have a place where that's not a thing. You, We can't rent the house out. We can't rent a room out. We can't do anything because the homeowner association under the laws in our state don't allow you to do that. Yeah. Fine. But there are lots of places in the world where that is happening. What Airbnb has done is created a platform where they sell a very dubious, I won't say fake, mm-hmm. very dubious assurance to homeowners that their home will be protected. Mm. And if somebody rents, right, because it's really hard according to a lot of different laws in a lot of different places to get people out your house if you don't like them, if they've been there for a long time. Yeah. So if they've been renting a room for months and you're like, please get out, they're like, well, I live here now and the laws say that I do. So having an Airbnb allows you to kind of get around that sometimes because you can rent for a smaller on time. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can do. Mm-hmm. However, Airbnb making this claim that... New York City is saying, with the rules, okay, so they've done what most countries do. You can, you have to register with the city of New York. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. Because you want to be a registered business in your city. You want to pay taxes to your city because it comes back to you as a homeowner. You want that. Um, You must live in the residence that they're renting. You should do that. That should be something. You shouldn't be able to buy 92 properties. Yeah. And rent them all on Airbnb because you are displacing residents who live in the city. Absolutely. And the law also outlines that registered must stay in a rental. I think that's a little much because sometimes you don't want to be there. Like if I want to go away the weekend where somebody's in the house, I think that's fine. Yeah. But I understand what they're trying to say. In addition, a limit has been set to two. Also agree Mm -hmm. because this becomes a nuisance for neighbors. Now, that can go either way. If I want to have a party at my house on weekend, I should be able to do that to my house. Right. However, I understand not having a perpetual... 20 people at the house every weekend. Right. And just disturbing party the after neighborhood party culture. after party. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors in there that you have to consider. However, I know that this argument that's being made by Airbnb mm-hmm. is in direct, it's in direct response to the hotel industry. Right. It is not in direct response to the city of New York. Mm-hmm. It's not in direct, re- in, in direct response to even homeowners. It's in direct response to the hotel industry. Yeah. Who have for a de- at least a decade... They've been uh, they've been lobbying against Airbnb not being in the city of New York and cities like New York around the country mm-hmm. because it takes away from them. Yeah. Even though hotels also have really exorbitant wild fees and <laughs> and and rules yeah. that really prohibit you from even having a good time on vacation. Right. Right. <laughs> that is so true. I said a lot of things, but I mean to say that this is not as simple as it seems, mm-hmm. and a lot of these public statements and, in my opinion, propaganda statements do not reflect the actual position of residents in these locales. They don't. They reflect the battle between Airbnb and the hotels. Yeah. The other thing that everybody should know is that during the pandemic, right, Mm -hmm. 
Airbnb had to make tough decisions that the residents pushed, the people who own their homes pushed. And it was so much, it was not a big a deal as this, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Because all across the country, they had to make tough decisions where the um, residents wanted to cancel stays that they didn't want them to cancel in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. This is how I know it's not driven by, this narrative is not driven by residents. Because when it was, res, when the narrative about not wanting people in their homes because people may or may not have COVID, mm-hmm. they kept it very well under wraps. There was a class action lawsuit. I didn't hear that. I know that <laughs> we all, we being me who has an Airbnb, we mm-hmm. all were a part of this mm-hmm. because we understood the ramifications of one, having somebody in your house yeah. who could have COVID, you having COVID and infecting someone. There was a whole bunch of liability that did not exist before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And when the homeowners raised this concern and organized around it, it was tampered down like nobody heard about mm. it but us. <laughs> <laughs> so I know this narrative. I know there's more, to, as they say where I'm from, there's two sides and an edge to every story. Mm-hmm. And the other side that I don't really care about is the hotel side. But I know that this narrative does not really include the voice of the residents as much as it should. And before we go on to our next story, uh, just some just some uh, extra points here. The number of options for Airbnb users looking for a weekend in New York City has dwindled by 15,000 listings. Just 3,400 New York City apartments are still available for short-term bookings on the vacation rental site. And this is according to data from a watchdog group. Nearly 9,000 fewer full property vacation rentals than a month before. And in order to comply with the rule, Airbnb switched many of the unregistered listings to long-term rentals, which are exempt from the requirement. The average New York City Airbnb now rents for at least 29 days and that's up from 19 days in August. Another 4,000 or so Airbnb listings were taken offline. All right, our third story for today. Uh, two stock trading experts create fun online game to teach African Americans how to trade options. Junior Fenwick, known as the Stock Flipper, and Eric V. Johnson, known as the Options Professor, the creators of an online game called Flip That Option. The two have been trading in the stock market for over 15 years, and after meeting each other eight years ago and becoming fast friends and business partners, they have since helped 35,000 people learn about the stock market. They specialize in teaching beginner a fun. Um, excuse me. They specialize in teaching beginners a fun, non-complicated and non-intimidating way to learn the stock market and become active traders. Most recently, they collaborated and developed Flip That Option, a fun, easy, and interactive online game to teach beginners how to trade options. Trading Options offers the unique ability to make money daily and weekly, which can be used to pay for bills, travel, or anything else you want to use the money for. Once you learn to play the game, it takes less than five minutes to place a trade during the day on your laptop, tablet, or smartphone. You can even do it while at work. The Flip That Option game teaches what is an option, how to make money trading options, how to open a special account to trade options, how to find options to trade, and various option strategies, all while using the latest technology to trade. I'm going to say this. I am all for this. Sign me up for Flip That Option so that um, I can... um, 
make some cash. You, oh yeah, you, you know. Um, uh, and and I have some statistics to get to a little bit later, but but I am one of those folks that that never thought that I would be yeah. remotely interested in any kind of stock trading, what have you. But this right here has certainly sparked my interest, mainly because it takes something so what I feel as though it may not be for you, l- listener, uh, but what I <laughs> feel as though um, uh, trading is just something so difficult and, and, and convoluted, and it breaks it down uh, to, to, to where I can do this on a daily basis and, and even as a side option. So I love this. Oh, well, I will say people in my life who are very close to me, I won't mention exactly who they are, but you know who you are, have done this game for a long time. Oh, really? Yes. And I'm glad to see there are more black men, that's a clue, who are doing this. Yeah. Because let's 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 go back a little bit mm-hmm. to the stock, stock market crash of 2007-2009, between 2007-2009, because it really started... The signs started coming in 2007. Yeah. But we really realized the crash coming into the Obama presidency, mm-hmm. right? Right before Obama got inaugurated and then into 2009. Yeah. And so that at that point, the people who were the fodder, the people who were the pawns in that game were black and brown people mm. at that point. Yeah. And a lot of us had um, 401ks that crashed. Yeah. A lot of us had stocks that crashed, and we didn't know we didn't have the knowledge like a lot of our white counterparts did to pull out of that game. Yeah, right. People were so behind the eight ball that they pulled out late and lost everything. Yeah, and they didn't know that if you don't pull out by a certain time, that you shouldn't pull out. They should just wait because yeah. you wouldn't have no money no way. So just stay there, and the stock will rebound. But that everybody reacted to the panic and pulled all their. Their little bit of money was left out of them stocks yeah. and out of their whatever, whatever they had and lost a, a, a lifetime's worth of money. Right. While their counterparts were like, you know what? It's a really bad stock crash, but I'm, I might as well keep my money there because if I don't, unless the company goes totally under. Because right. if I don't, I'm, I'm never go- I never have a chance at regaining that yeah. money. Yeah. So having two stock trading experts who are black men, who identify as black men, who have gained expertise in this area is really important because what I'm hoping it does, which I've seen it do for individuals who are doing this, Mm -hmm. is it takes the fear out of the the stock crashing, which happens. People don't realize it, but it happens every so often. Mm -hmm. It may not go dip like it did 2008, but there were times where the stock market crashed so badly during the Trump presidency, even during Biden presidency, where... People were, they were less afraid because factors, but it it crashed pretty, it went down, and it sh- I shouldn't say crash, because crash was the 2008. But it went down so bad that people were like, okay, I'm just going to hold on. Yeah. Versus, oh, 2008 was 15 years ago? Yeah. No, I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Right? Let people were like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take it and run. Mm-hmm. Or there were people who had the early notification who took it and ran before the the stuff went down. So I'm hoping that that piece is at least we have more people. I have a I have a whole dissertation in my head on stocks that I haven't written. <laughs> but I'm hoping that this 
these the avid the, the the presence of these two men and there are there are a couple more like them mm-hmm. who are out there the, the I'm not even going to get to call names but there are a few more out them who out there who are doing this similar idea mm-hmm. and they're teaching particularly they market to black men in particular um, and help them understand stocks better yeah I love um I, I I love that this this takes um what I experienced in in high school uh when when going over um to certain players house and, and everything for for a family cookout for a family barbecue what have you um I, I was the only uh black player on the team yeah. uh, sh- shout out to Lancaster Catholics so so <laughs> so when I would um uh, go to these um cookouts to these barbecues there there would be a time when all of the the men all of the boys uh they would take them into a, a, another room and now they're talking stocks you know they're talking finances you know so so they're they're getting this game absolutely even at the cookouts so i'm looking at this and i'm like all right well you know this is now my cookout moment so now i can learn this and then give it absolutely. to the next generation. I like that. Your cookout moment. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So um uh some some fun little facts here uh before we uh head off to our next story. Uh first and foremost, I do want to say flipthatoption.com. Uh that's where you learn to play the flip the flip that option game and generate income. Again, that is flipthatoption.com. So some statistics here. Only 34% of black American households owned equity investments as compared with 61 percent of white families. And that's according to the Federal Reserve Board. And this is uh, most recently in 2019. And the average value of stocks black Americans owned amounted to only fourteen thousand dollars, nearly a quarter of what their white peers held. And this is what the data said. In addition, only 44 percent of black Americans have retirement savings accounts with a typical balance of around twenty thousand dollars compared to 65 percent of white Americans who have an average balance of fifty thousand dollars, according to the Federal Reserve. Wow. Yeah. The other fun statistic that's in here is small African-American businesses earn a combined total of eighty three point six billion dollars. Billion. Billion. And Billion. that was only 12% of all businesses in the nation. Wow. <laughs> when I read that, I was like, what? Wow. How much? What? Our next story, story number four, African-Americans can celebrate reaching nearly 3.5 million black-owned businesses in the United States. So um, those are the latest numbers from the U.S. Census Bureau non-employer business data by demographic characteristics of owners. And this and this um, study came out earlier this year. So small African-American businesses earned a combined total of eighty three point six billion dollars and represented twelve point seven percent of all businesses in that nation, according to their report. That's just what Dr. K um, just said. The non-employer business data group represents black businesses run solely by an owner or an owner with a partner with no paid employees who earned at least one thousand dollars or more in a given space of time. 
In Philadelphia, African-American-owned businesses are praised small and large, like WURD, Pound Cake Heaven in Kingsington, the Minute Men Press. I actually love them. Uh, and Sid's Booker's Restaurant in Germantown, Atomic City Comics, Black and Nobel Bookstore. Love them, too. And Printworks, which has a line of social justice heritage-themed hoodies and T-shirts now sold in nearly 400 Target stores. Uh, so, um, black black businesses um, are are definitely needed and should be celebrated um, because you get these businesses like uh, what 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 Black and Nobel Bookstore yes. does in Philadelphia. Like they have a whole business model where you can um, send books to to inmates. Um, yes. you, you can write uh, write to inmates and and they streamline. That process. So if you're someone that has a loved one that's locked up, it's not like these facilities give you a how to manual or anything. Um, So what Black Black and Nobel really does, they help fill that gap and and, and really ease that stress when your when your uh, loved one is is locked up. I look at um, Minuteman um, Press. I use them in their store in Harrisburg. Absolutely. Actually. Um, uh, all the time. Yes. <laughs> you know. All the time. All the step and repeats. Um, I look at the. All my Juneteenth flyers. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And and may I add, those are crisp. Thank you very much. <laughs> those are crisp. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then I think about uh, the business uh, that, that I ran, TCP Media Group. Oh, absolutely. That helped uh, tell the stories of. Of marginalized groups. So, yes, this is definitely a, a moment where these businesses uh, need to take a bow. And I'm looking forward to hearing about the next 3.5 yeah. million. So that's it's 7 million. Your thoughts? Um, uh, first of all, I just want to give a shout out to Uncle Bobby's Books and Philly. Oh, they, yes! forgot, they forgot about them in this little <laughs> yes! article. Um, shout out to Mark Lamont Hill, who was our keynote speaker at Juneteenth last year. I mean, this just turned into a Juneteenth commercial, but just come <laughs> next year and you'll see what me and how great it is. Anyway, right. but yeah, so black folks often forget that s- overall small businesses really power a lot of things on the local level. Yeah. So when you are in certain neighborhoods and certain cities across the country, it's not even cities, towns, it doesn't have to be a city. It could be a town, a borough. You're going to come in contact with a black or brown business, particularly a black business, that is giving you the service that some of these bigger named businesses can't give you. Right. And people forget that. I mean, I don't know why. I don't. Maybe they don't know. I don't. I'm not sure. Like for example, I'm sure people don't know about Minimat Press in Harrisburg. Oh. I'm positive that a lot. There's some of us who know, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of more folks who don't know about the wow. what what Minuteman Press is. Um, so it's glad that we're highlight. I'm, I'm very happy we're highlighting. Yeah. And then also, I think even with the, and this is a, I mean, it's not sad. We talked about the last show. But even with the uh, advent, there are 3.5 million businesses owned by black people in the United States. That's something to celebrate. Not saying it's not. The support for those businesses is still yeah. under. This is why, this is why I said the other week that the $125 million number mm, that they authorized yeah. for that infusion of supporting businesses yeah. that Kamala Harris announced mm-hmm. was too little too late. Because look at the amount of money that black businesses are responsible for in the country. Yeah. And look at the rate at which black 
companies, particularly small businesses, because when you're talking about non-employer-based businesses by demographic characteristics of owners, you're talking about small business. Yeah. Because a lot of small businesses are micro. It's one person and one other person running the business. Right. And they're sometimes they don't even take a salary. They take a little bit, but they're doing this service, so they keep it keep it moving. Right. Um, so this is why I said the other day that I believe that the hundred twenty five million it could have at least been a billion. Yeah. To address the eighty seven billion dollar infusion that Black folks the the eight eighty seven billion dollar what's the word for that I forget right now but. Basically, people are spending a lot of money with black businesses yes. to the tune of 12%. So you mean to tell me $83.7 billion or $86.6 billion, and the government is only kicking out $125 million million. to support the one-third to one-half of black businesses that don't even make it to 18 months. When you know that this number exists. We know this number exists. Right. And, and and this is what black businesses really need. They need that initial investment, not just right. um, somebody playing around. Oh, well, let me throw <laughs> yeah. you um, five thousand dollars. Let me throw you ten thousand dollars, because then as a business owner, you experience that cliff because, yes, that five thousand dollars will get you. But so far, that's right. But then you need a next five thousand and a next five thousand. And, and there's there's that cliff. Versus just investing, let's say, 100K into that That's small right. business. And, and, and then their bandwidth is a little bit wider. It's a little bit longer. And they can, um, they can grow. Our, our fifth and last story. Uh, we do like to uh, say thank you for joining us on this edition of the melanin report so everything you need to know about processed foods consuming processed foods is being blamed for everything from an increased risk of developing obesity and heart disease to cancer and type 2 diabetes as well as a variety of other detrimental health effects but is this villainous status really deserved the issue is more complicated than it seems because there isn't a formal definition of processed foods. They reside on a spectrum from minimally, minimally processed, such as canned peaches or yogurt, to ultra-processed, such as salty chips, hot dogs, and packaged baked goods. Processed foods include any food that has been cooked, canned, frozen, preserved, packaged, or fortified with beneficial nutrients. In fact, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, anything that has been crushed, cut, chopped, diced, sliced, pitted, blended, pureed, juiced, or dried is considered a processed food. So everything is what you're saying. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) So while processed foods include frozen mac and cheese or pizza, a bag of barbecue chips, or a cheeseburger from a fast food joint. They also include a loaf of whole wheat bread, canned beans, a carton of pasteurized milk, or a jar of tomato sauce. Everything is processed unless you go into a cornfield or to an apple tree and bite into it that food right off the stalk. And this comes from Keith Ayub, a registered dietitian and associate professor of pediatrics at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York. And finishes in saying processing isn't all bad. You can have a processed food that's a whole food using um, peanuts as a example. Uh, so... Processed foods isn't 
isn't all bad. Uh, just to give you all a reminder, uh, this this Friday uh, for episode uh, for for our third edition of this week, we will be getting into it and talking about processed foods and the benefits, if there are any, with processed foods. So, Dr. K. Listen, I, as far as I know, most everything... I, okay, so there is already... There's a whole history here, mm. and my brain just gets overwhelmed, you know, cannot compute error when thinking about it for, like, how to package it into, like, a small sound bite you know what yeah. I mean <laughs> because processed food has a long history in this country from times of war mm-hmm. to times of fam- literal famine yeah. and how you preserve food to take it on a long distance um, how you preserve food so that it doesn't rot so when you need it two weeks later you still have food mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of history with processed foods um, freeze drying was something that the military found to be the most uh, health healthy mm-hmm. as far as not killing the nutrients but still giving people you could rehydrate the food if you needed to I mean it wouldn't be the same but mm-hmm. you could rehydrate it and it was a way to keep nutrients in food um, so that if you needed it later you could have it because there are certain things that cause food to spoil namely, namely moisture mm-hmm. so if you get mold or mildew on food you can no longer eat it I don't think it's mold but maybe mildew on food you can't eat it no more or any kind of spore so Processing food to make it in a new age more lasting to be able to last a longer amount of time is beneficial to us. But advertising, aha, (laughs) and propaganda has allowed us to go, well, all processed food is bad without knowing the history and the the context of what is a processed food. So one of my favorite processed food is dried, uh, freeze-dried beans. Mm. I like freeze-dried beans. Snap peas, mm-hmm. edamame, um, green beans, they're delicious. And they can, they retain the nutrients, and sometimes they add a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But they're quick snacks. Yeah. You can eat them. So my other favorite fried, uh, fried processed food is uh, dried nuts. Mm. That's a process. Yeah. That's a process. <laughs> right? Roasting yeah. your nuts or drying your nuts is a process. Mm-hmm. Especially, I have my own... Um, what you call it? Air fryer now. It has a dehydrate function. Welcome to the club. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, process. When yeah. you, I can make my own beef jerky. Shout out to me. Okay, mm. it's delicious. Don't come to my house because I ate it all already. Um, but it is delicious. Well, the next episode, could you bring some in? You know, for you, for you, <laughs> I think I can do something. Appreciate but it. But these are the these are the processes that we say yeah. that we kind of lump together so they're all bad. We we I th- I don't even know if people have a specific meaning of what they. Th- think about when they say processed food Mm. they just think of something bad yeah and equating processed food with bad is not just incorrect it has the it has the potential to be damaging to you because you can't tell the difference between what is a good Mm. a good thing and a bad thing in the processed food world right Right. All right. Well, we are going to put a pin in it right there. Um, I'd like to thank Dr. K for coming through once yeah. again, dropping those nuggets of knowledge. I hope they weren't too heavy for y'all I hope to I, pick I up. I hope I said the right thing. Fact check me if I didn't, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure I did. I looked it all up. <laughs> well, uh, uh, if you do want to respond um, to to anything you heard, you can email me at Marquise underscore Lupton at WITF.org. Again, that's Marquise underscore Lupton at WITF.org. And Dr. K, how can um, the people get in contact with you? Oh, people want to contact me? Ew. (laughs) I love this for me. Okay, you can contact me at Kamika at YPOC dash HBG.org. You can also check me out at blacknewsbeat.com. That is 
you know, my show. I have a little show too. Um, And also just shout out to Marquise for having me here because it has been a wonderful experience. And sitting next to this superstar is super (laughs) amazing. Oh, stop. Give me all warm inside. (laughs) Well, folks, that includes our top five stories to begin your week. So the conversation continues on Wednesday with part two of this week's series. So don't forget, tell a friend to tell a friend to download the Melanin Report. I'm Marquise Lupton telling you to trust your dopeness. tonight baby i'm loving your energy right now one two three six we can do the things you like we can do the things you like all night just tell me what's on your mind tell me what's on your mind i can feel it flow wind can't quite control it and now you know this that here's exactly where you're uh, supposed to be. Ain't no teller when the ball starts stepping with the right one on his side. Aha, uh-huh, we can fly. Uh, picture Remy and Pat, I picture Hov and B. Picturing you and me reaching beyond that. It's unbelievable thinking that I could be with you. We could become unbeatable even if it's illegal to. Mama, I believe in you more than your own people do. Don't want to lead you, only want to leave with you. Let's go, let's get it, no hesitation. Stay humble, folks are the destination. Combos are great, and sex is amazing. But the focus on the goals is what sets the separation. If you're gonna do this, then let me know. It's you and me, fuck what they think, though. I'm riding with you, you ride with me. Well, dance with me right now, that's where we supposed to be. We can do the things you like, we can do the things you like all night. Just tell me what's on your mind, tell me what's on your mind. I can feel it flow, wind. I can control it, and now you notice that here's exactly where you're supposed to be. Who else you wanna be with besides me? Honestly, leave you love stuck, focus and not me. Satisfied physically as much as mentally. I want parts in your fantasies becoming reality. Let your guard down, miss. We ain't got a box. I'm an outcast. Put my love below by your speaker box. I'll lay your day in bed. Oil on my back up, play a game. You write on me and I'll figure out what you said. I know your past got you moving with your heart guarded. Can't plant seeds, just a step on garden. Some people show up for a reason. Season of a life. Starting to feel like this is life, right? Am I wrong? But then show me. But if I'm right, then always stay focused with me. Never lose your 80 for a 20. Tyler Perry taught me that. Watching why did I get married? I'm just saying, baby. We can do the things you like. We can do the things you like all night. Just tell me what's on your mind. Tell me what's on your mind. I can feel it flow. Wind can't quite control it. You know this that here's exactly where you're supposed to be. If we gon' do this, then let me know. It's you and me, fuck what they think though. I'm riding with you, you ride with me, well dance with me right now. This where we supposed to be like huh? Yeah, yeah, I like that. I'm riding with you, you ride with me, well dance with me right now. This where we supposed to be. We can do the things you like, we can do the things you like all night. Just tell me what's on your mind, tell me what's on your mind. I can feel it, flow, wind, can't quite control it. And now you notice that 
Here's exactly where you're supposed to be 